providing timely, relevant content to providers who care for children. Welcome to Pediatrics in Practice, presented by Children's Mercy Kansas City. Here's Dr. Michael Smith. Polycystic ovarian syndrome can be a complex condition to manage. Here to help us get a handle on it is Dr. Tanya Bergert. She is a pediatric endocrinologist at Children's Mercy and associate professor of pediatrics at the University of Missouri, Kansas City School of Medicine. This is Transformational Pediatrics, the podcast from Children's Mercy. I'm Dr. Mike. Dr. Burkert, how common is polycystic ovarian syndrome? Polycystic ovarian syndrome is actually the most common endocrinopathy in women worldwide. It affects about 10% of the female population. Wow. So, so that's a lot more than I w- was familiar with. Um, is this something that, that you, in your experience and your expertise that we're seeing more often? Is there an increase in prevalence of this? Or has that been pretty consistent, that statistic you just shared, pretty consistent? It's been a pretty statistic, uh, a pretty consistent statistic. Um, I think we are a little bit more aware of the condition now, and we're certainly diagnosing it more in adolescence and uh, just due to more awareness. Um, and probably it is more prevalent than 10% in some populations. So, um, but it's always been there. It's one of those very conserved conditions throughout evolution, actually. Right. So let's talk a little bit for a nice review, um, some of the, the causes and some of the risk factors uh, in, in obviously, the adolescent population for polycystic ovarian syndrome. So could you just kind of run us through some of the causes and risk factors? Oh, yes, yes. So actually, so PCOS, as I just mentioned, is a genetic predisposition. So, um, you know, you are just born with it, but the manifestation can be variable. Um, so in some women, they will have a full typical phenotype, such as um, very irregular periods, excessive weight gain. Um, the hormonal dysregulation leads to uh, an elevation in testosterone, which leads to um, severe acne, hirsutism. And so that is kind of the classic phenotype that we have. But um, there's a big spectrum in that clinical manifestation. And so um, a lot of women will have one or two or some of these signs. So um, it's not it's not the same for everybody. And therefore, we like to um, really individualize our care in this condition. I guess, you know, that's one of the reasons that we, I think most experts like yourself consider this to be a a complex condition to manage, right? Because it can manifest in so many different ways. Tell us a little bit, in, again, in your experience, what what are some of those common diagnostic and therapeutic challenges that a primary care or mm-hmm. a general pediatrician might face, and how can we work around those challenges or overcome them? Yes. Okay. So those, yes, these challenges um, are mainly in for they're, they're challenges in all ages, but. Uh, from my standpoint, in adolescence, there's significant overlap between normal symptoms of puberty and PCOS. For example, one of the hallmarks of the condition is irregular periods, and it is not uncommon for adolescents to have irregular periods. And trying to figure out at what point is that still part of adolescence or does that constitute early PCOS? And so um, what I think the primary care 
um, providers should should know is that um, we give about a year um, of menstrual dysregulation um, post-menarche as kind of um, that's, you know, you can still be regular about one year after your first period. Um, once you get beyond one year, if your periods skip more than 90 days, that should be a red flag. The second year uh, post-menarche, yes, you can still have irregularities. Uh, you can have every 21 to 45 day cycles. That's still considered normal. But once in that second year, you go beyond 45 days, you go to 90 days, um, you know, you should kind of at least do some kind of evaluation why this girl is not menstruating um, in, 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 a, in a normal fashion. Um, we like to consider the menstrual cycle kind of as a vital sign. We look at heart rate, blood pressure, all those things. And if your menstrual cycle is off, you know, we should really go looking for a cause. So at that point, second year post-menarche, if cycles um, are beyond 90 days, we should do an evaluation. So, um, and that evaluation should include um, excluding some of the other common endocrine conditions that might affect your menstrual cycle, such as thyroid uh, dysfunction and elevated prolactin could sometimes give you regular cycles. So a general evaluation for what um, would con would contribute to irregular periods at this point would be uh, desired. Now, okay. to diagnose PCOS, um, you would have to find an elevation in testosterone um, in those patients with irregular periods. And so that would be a diagnostic criterion for PCOS, irregular cycle and elevation in testosterone. During this whole evaluation period, when, when should the primary care physician or nurse practitioner, um, when should they decide that this needs to move on to the specialist, right? So they're, so they're evaluating the when the menses began and they're looking at if there's any irregularities there. Maybe they can do some of the hormone um, uh, tests. But at what point does this need to go on to somebody like you, Dr. Berger? Yes. So if there's menstrual dysregulation, we can't really find a cause, and we find that um, there's an elevation testosterone. And this elevation may not be um, very elevated. It may just be borderline. It may not be consistent because hormones fluctuate. So you may have, um, you know, an afternoon testosterone that still looks kind of in a normal range, but if you check it in the morning, it's more elevated. That's because of the diurnal variation. So if, you, if you're suspicious that this patient... Um, has irregular periods and maybe some clinical manifestations of um, high testosterone, such as excessive acne and hirsutism, even though the testosterone may not be classically elevated above 50, um, you may still want to uh, refer. Of course, if the patient's testosterone is elevated, uh, you know, in, in, in a typical way and the periods are irregular, I would recommend referral as okay. well. Yeah. So we've kind of gone through, uh, you know, what the experience might be for the patient and the primary care physician or general pediatrician early on. If if the referral is made to an expert like yourself, can you walk us through your work up of of the patient and what 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 then guides your your treatment recommendations? So again, it's very important to understand that treatment is very individualized. We kind of 
like to see the patient as a whole and see what is their main concern. Some adolescents may be mostly concerned about the irregularity of the cycles. Others are more focused on the cosmetic aspect. Another one is very concerned about the weight gain that's associated with the hormonal dysregulation. Um, we as um, physicians, we may be um, concerned about the metabolic risk, the risk for diabetes. Um, there's also um, a lot that we know nowadays about the mood disorder and especially anxiety associated with PCOS. So we want to be mindful about that and kind of um, ask how they are feeling um, with, with, um, in terms of dealing with depression and anxiety because that also is hormonally re- related in PCOS. So we try to get a really good understanding what are the symptoms of the individual patients, which are the ones that they are most bothered by, which are the most concerning, and um, then we decide a plan of attack and treatment. And we want to take into consideration immediate symptom relief as well as um, benefiting them long-term in terms of metabolic health and uh, later on fertility because um, if you have PCOS and you have irregular periods, it's more difficult to conceive later on in life. So we like to have a good look at all aspects of PCOS and then offer the, um, the most comprehensive evaluation so that the patient really knows everything um, about the condition, knows about their metabolic state. So every patient with PCOS does get an oral glucose tolerance test in our system because um, our previous data have shown that um, even mm-hmm. if you're not overweight or excessively overweight, you're at risk for prediabetes or diabetes. So we evaluate all patients on that. All patients uh, receive nutrition consultation. Um, we um, refer them to specialists who may um, be able to help them with mood and anxiety. And we have our adolescent medicine colleagues in to kind of talk about reproductive health and kind of moving forward in terms of transitioning to adulthood. So, yes, we we have a comprehensive approach. Right, right. So, you know, as a complex condition, um, and in summary, Dr. Berger, what what would you like the general pediatrician, the, the, the primary care physician, to know about polycystic ovarian syndrome? Um, that it is variable in expression. It's very difficult to diagnose. We would like to err on the side of making the diagnosis. And even if we're not 100% sure that this patient has PCOS, if they are at risk for PCOS or this, even if they have PCOS-like symptoms, um, there's treatment that may benefit them. And um, it's better to kind of look further and to fully evaluate and to get them in than to just kind of wait and see if this really turns out to be PCOS. Perfect summary. I really appreciate that. That's Dr. Tanya Burkert, a pediatric endocrinologist at Children's Mercy. Thanks for checking out this episode of Transformational Pediatrics. Please visit childrensmercy.org. That's childrensmercy.org to get connected with Dr. Burgert or other providers. If you uh, found this podcast helpful, please share it on your social channels and be sure to check the entire podcast library for topics of interest to you and be sure to check back soon for the next podcast.